Cha 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 cha! Dun 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 dun. In this episode, Casey and Isaac look at how to world build your first sentences. I, the irony there of how like that wasn't the greatest first sentence. <laughs> just, just saying. There's some irony there in that that intro. If a penguin has earmuffs, then a boomerang has nose plugs. Today, we are talking about opening lines. Uh, yeah? Are you intrigued? No, I think I put the book down, and I walked away. <laughs> okay, so there's an example of what not to do, unless your target audience is me, and no one else. Or maybe a child. Okay, I, I uh, will restate what I just said. Unless your target audience is me... Yeah. Yeah, the child. Uh, yeah, but we are we are talking about opening sentences. Uh, if you're confused why we're not building a world, it is because this is our once a month series that we do, uh, the first of every month, where we talk about a world building writing prop thing. Like, just an element of world building in the whole, and just talk about it more in depth as a write- as actually writing it rather than just developing random worlds like we do. So that's this is this is our second one of this. We have one if you're uh, interested in the series and enjoy this episode, go ahead and check out the first one. You don't need to listen to the first one to listen to this one. So if you don't want to, that's fine too. Uh but the first one was kind of us just overviewing some of the topics we would we hope to dive in deeper as well as just talking broadly about what it is to world build. But yeah, today we are talking about the first sentence. I kind of have a list in my head of different things the first sentence does to a story, like what it can establish. I will note now, it is not, this first sentence doesn't have to establish this thing. This is just something to keep in mind when you're writing your first sentence. That this is something that might, this is something this sentence can, has the power to do to both to your readers and also to the rest of your story as you're writing it, so. Yeah, and of course Isaac's here too, to bounce off. Hi. Yeah, I feel like I rattled a bit there. Okay, so I'm actually going to say something real quick uh, before we go any further. Your opening line, the vast majority of the time, should not be once upon a time. Okay, got that out of the way. <laughs> well, actually, it depends. Okay. It's cliche. Uh, I know, but there are times when it works. Okay. Yes. For example, yes, I have ninety-nine percent of the time. My example for this time. is a poem, though not a story. But I wrote a poem where it was a play on fairy tales, and it starts with "Once Upon a Time," but it's also like a double vanetta, and it's like it's it was the most complex form I've ever tried to write a poem in. But it did start with "Once Upon a Time." Yeah, if you're writing something fairy tale esque then sure. Or children's work. story, where, like, that feels nice. Yeah. Or retelling. Uh... Or you want to make fun of it. Look, there are a lot... It, it's, here's... here. You know what? Here's the one valid rule for writing, just out of the way, is that there are no valid rules. Which means yeah. that if you want to create rules for writing for yourself, then that's okay, too, because saying there are no valid rules is also an invalid rule. Yeah, what I always say is that for every rule, there is a creative way around it or an exception. Yep. That is the only rule of writing that I completely, 100% stick to. Yeah. That is the 
only one. Every other rule sort of applies to that rule. Yeah. And Even if you don't know what the exception is. Yeah. You'll, you'll find it in the world. But today we're talking about the first sentence, and I kind of wanted to start off with actually talking about how the first sentence of a story can establish the style of your writing for the rest of the book, because I, I feel like uh, that's just something people don't realize. I know this, especially uh, something that I struggle with a lot of books that I'm either writing or I'm reading, especially if I write them over a long period of time, is you'll notice your first sentence will eventually stop matching the style of the rest of your book, and most people won't rewrite it anyways because they're attached to that first sentence. But let me tell you, if it uh, stops matching and like seems out of place, rewrite the first sentence. Just just accept that you can't keep it. Maybe put it in like a little me memoir thing, or like make it a little title for something else. But rewrite it, because <laughs> that first sentence is supposed to establish the tone and like the writing style of your book. And if your first sentence doesn't match, you're gonna throw a reader in the loop so bad when they're like continue reading. Where are we going next? Do you have a mental list? Well, on the next yeah, page? I was hoping you'd have something to add, so it's not just. Oh, me. um. <laughs> okay, so what you want to do if you are George Orwell is open up with a line about how it's a cold day in April and the clocks are striking 13 to establish the rest of the book as a dystopia because it's clear something went wrong there with that opening line because clocks don't have 13 numbers and April's not cold and if you're George Orwell what you do not want to do is open up with once upon a time there was a princess locked in a tower well, and then proceed to write 1984. <laughs> That would, that would be the most bizarre start of 19... of uh, I don't even think you could make that fit. Like, I don't think there's a segue there. But, like, another thing to point is, uh, if you think about the style of George Orwell's writing, and if you haven't read any of his books, you should at least read one in your lifetime. Uh, 1964 is a good one. Animal Farm's another. Just pick one. I love Animal Farm. I love. I, I adore Animal Farm too. Maybe go with Animal Farm. I think that one's better. Personally, it's a short book. It's also shorter. Uh, but just he has a distinct writing style, and I can't imagine. And his first sentence definitely establishes what that writing style is in the sense that you could tell by his first sentence that he's going to write something a bit mind-bending and a bit more psychological than anything else. Because you could tell, while being very descriptive, there's kind of like this huddle, subtle hint of like a psychological tr turmoil inside that sentence of things not being right. And it actually establishes mystery. So, like, a first line, if you have a book that's more of a thriller mystery thing, your first line should establish that instantly, that, hey, you're going to have a lot of questions reading this, and you're going to be wanting answers throughout. Unlike, say something like, uh, I don't know, what's, what's a book where it's not a mystery and you pop it in and, like, you don't feel that? I'm trying to think of a good book example of that, because there are some. Uh, 
where it's not are you saying where it's a mystery but it doesn't feel like a mystery no more like uh it the book itself is definitely not a mystery and you could tell by the first line that it's it's not going to be because like there's no suspense okay. or anything in the first line okay so maybe it's not a are you saying like it's not a mystery but maybe it's a mystery to the characters or no it's just not a mystery in general like the to- the first line of the book establishes that this is a like i don't know like a romance or something i don't know where the I don't know where the mystery came in then. I was referring to the the back. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost. I've lost. Okay. Him. I I've lost him, and now I've lost my own train of thought. So this is going very well. Already. <laughs> but so I'm doing. I kind of want to use these. Uh, so like an example of uh, what I'm trying to say is that your first line can establish the genre of your book. I think genre, is the, is the tone, segue. Setting, yeah. The so, feel of the cool mist over the mountains, cleansing your body. As the deer and the antelope emerge from the shadows approaching you, behind them comes the giant elephant, waving his trunk while holding a flag with a banana on it. I don't even. <laughs> it, it started out dramatic and then it went weird. Yeah, and then once again, I have closed the book and I have walked away. Because. <laughs> and once again, I want to figure out what the heck is going on here, and so I proceed to read the book. Yeah. You have a you have a you you are attracted to to weirder starter sentences then. I'm attracted to weirder sentences, and I'm attracted to just plain, uh, dramatic and cool-sounding sentences. Again, George Orwell, um, but then with the weird sometimes the weird stuff is really good at drawing people in. Maybe not, don't go as weird and random as what I just did as an example. Yeah. But, um, open up with, uh, something that might seem abnormal but is still but is uh, interesting like maybe a character this this is not a creative uh, opening but a character holding a fireball or maybe um what is another good one maybe somebody uh, how about somebody touching a lake and freezing it over like just by touching it so so it's clear this person has ice powers and it's like so it's a kind of strange. Maybe that opening bit is a little bit strange, but then um, you mentioned that this character is also holding uh, a uh, red stone in their hand. It's like, oh, what does this red stone do exactly? Clearly, ice powers, but but uh, how does it work? And maybe something like that can intrigue the reader. So you know, here's here's where here's where I'm gonna say something that is actually kind, of, which I think you might disagree with, is are uh, sometimes I enjoy like a starter sentence that is seems completely ordinary, like I'm realizing that the story is going to take place in the real world, and it's just, for example, uh, one of the latest books I re- the last it's the last book I read, uh, was um, Old Wives Tales. Uh, not the play, and not the collection of, uh, 
stories and recipes and stuff but a book series named after the play like they, he took the title from the play and it literally like the opening sentence is just uh these two girls are sitting looking out the window at a at a uh, onto a uh, crowded street and that's that's his opening line is just you have two girls staring out in a window at a crowded street it's completely ordinary like anyone could do this I could, I have to find, I don't have a sister, so I'd have to find someone, but I could find someone and we could sit together and we could stare outside the window at a crowded street pretty easily. Like, I've done it with people before. This is something I've personally done, is sat with another girl and looked out a window at a crowded street. So it seems very ordinary, but at the same time, like, you're sitting there, like, even this little ordinary thing can introduce questions such as, okay, what's, what's the crowded street? Why are they, what are they looking at outside the window? What's outside the window that's caught their attention? Or is this just a normal day? Or like, what are, who are these two girls? And are they going to be the main characters of the story? Or is this just a segue? Or what? Like, you don't need something terribly crazy to, in your starter sentence to grab people. Sometimes it can be like a simple ordinary, but that depends on the type of story you're writing. For uh, the old wives tale, this was the point of this book, was to be completely ordinary. The off this book was written in a time period where writing about two women's just everyday lives, like from birth to, to death, was unheard of. It was deemed as boring, dull, and like, you just didn't do it. And this author was sitting here saying, no, women's lives are actually fascinating and important and worth being read about, like ordinary women's lives. And that's what he was doing was, so that's, starting with that ordinary sentence was important for that type of story. Meanwhile, for like George Orwell, if he did an ordinary sentence like that, and then proceeded with his, his book, the 1964, whatever the year is, we, we would be very confused by that opening sentence. Like that opening sentence wouldn't do it for us because his world is twisted and dark and weird and we want an opening sentence to match that so once again don't be george orwell opening up with once upon a time well yeah <laughs> once upon a time there was a man and this man lived in a dystopia where the clocks were striking 13 and he learned to read books of old and think for himself, and then he unlearned it. Yeah, and then it ends with him sitting in a pub, happy. I don't yeah, know. George Orwell doesn't really. Uh, he doesn't believe. He doesn't seem to be a huge fan of happy end endings. But no. the point of his stories isn't to reach a happy conclusion; it's to make a point. Yeah. Right. He makes it like um. Uh, like a. Uh, Again, Animal Farm is amazing. It doesn't end happily. I won't try. I won't spoil it yeah. for anyone who is interested in it. But I uh, just don't expect a happy ending. But uh, we're saying that just of George Orwell in general. Just don't expect. Ha don't oh, expect yeah. happiness. Don't read his books if you want to be happy. But do read his books if you want an interesting uh, perspective on. Of life. Uh, like politics and society but told with animals uh, and if you want like a story stuck in your head for 
It's like the the Nathaniel Hawthorne Scarlet Letter. Like, even if you don't like the book, or if you didn't fully understand, that book sticks with you for whatever reason. Like, the morals of it, the ideas of it, the imagery of it, it doesn't go away. I don't even know what the starter line of Scarlet Letter is. I'm tempted to look it up, because Nathaniel Hawthorne's a writer in pretty... I know pretty well. Let's see, Scarlet Letter opening line. The founders of a new colony, whatever utopia of human virtue and happiness they might originally project, have invariably recognized it among their earlier practical necessities to alert a portion of the virgin soil as a cemetery. Oh my goodness, I do not remember that. He has a long opening line. And another portion as the site of a prison. I have an example of a uh, way of not to do an opening line that doesn't fit with the rest of your story. Okay. Uh, but this one has somewhat to do, not necessarily with tone and stuff, but more with uh, promises and payoffs. Ah. Which is, there's a line, in which is, the open, it's the opening line of a Doctor Who episode. Okay. Where um, it opens up with Rose saying, my name is Rose Tyler, and this is how I died, or this is the day I died. I don't remember the exact quote. Okay, yeah. Which is, but it opens up with her saying, this is how I died. And then, by the end of the episode, she doesn't di- she doesn't actually die. She, you could, like, maybe squint your eyes and tilt your head and say, yeah, she kind of died, but not really. I hate it when stories do that. It's basically clickbait. Uh, yeah, don't clickbait your book with your opening title. Be honest, ab- or your opening sentence. Be honest about, like, what people are getting into. Because that is the thing. Like, this opening sentence represents a lot going forward. And you have to stay true to this opening sentence. Because, yeah, so 100% of people who pick up your book and start reading your book have read that opening sentence. Like, 25 have made it to the final sentence. And if you want that 25 to go out and get you more people to read that first sentence, you better have made sure that they were happy with that last sentence like they were that, like they feel like that opening sentence led them to the end sentence well. Or else they're not going to and your your retention's just gonna, like a YouTube video is just gonna die. Cause I noticed that like in YouTube, like people who do click baited titles and stuff, people get really upset. If your, like, thumbnail and title is clickbait and it's not honest and, like, you don't even address what is in the title. Yeah, I mean, clickbaiting is fine so long as you You, actually... You fulfill it. Yeah, you fulfill it. Yeah. If you don't fulfill it, don't put it in the title. (laughs) And in this case, if you're not going to fulfill what your first sentence is suggesting, then rewrite your first sentence. Because, uh... I have a big do not do this thing point. Which is, don't make your opening line, or really your opening scene, nothing more than an exposition dump. Oh, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I noticed a lot of stories, when they open up, it is nothing but exposition. It is establishing the world, establishing the characters, um, establishing the magic system, just telling people about the world, when, let me tell you a little bit of the secret. When you're going and just telling people 
about your world, nobody cares. Like, very few people will look at it and immediately be interested in your world when you're saying, a uh, 1,000 years ago, the Dark Lord took over the land, but he was struck down by the Hero of Light with a boomerang to the face. And then the, uh, the Dark Lord fell into the pit of despair, where he's been sealed away for all eternity. But he has somehow managed to claw his way back up, and is returning. And he's got this magic system where he creates rocks from penguin feet and fish tails. Okay, so you can see there's a lot of things wrong with that the opening sentence. For one, people feel like there was an entire story there that they're missing. Like, a lot of details and ideas. And on, I think the best example of how to do something that Isaac just mentioned right is Lord of the Rings. And add the movie introduction to Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is actually a funny example because it does several things... Um, that you generally want to avoid when writing, um, but it, but does, it, it does, so does them well. better. It does them better than pretty much anybody else does. So he's allowed to do it. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty much. Like, if you're yeah. gonna do, if you're gonna do something cliche or something, you better do it better than everyone else. Oh yeah, if you're gonna have any cliche in your book, you have to do it really, really well so that it stops being a cliche. Yep. Okay, okay, I don't give an example because I always you know, give this example. Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. It is filled to the brim with what would be considered cliches, like the four elements with the their magic system, the chosen one. And actually, the, uh, the, the Avatar Last Airbender has that exclamation dump thing as its first its opening. Yeah, it has so many cliches and stuff that you'd say never do in a story. But because it was all done really, really, really well, it stopped being a cliche really fast. Yeah, so what we're saying is if you want to do that exposition dump in the beginning of your story, you better just spend a lot of time on it, making sure it's interesting, fascinating, quick-paced, and doesn't feel like someone just trying to get some details out in the beginning before throwing you into the real story. So you got, you got to make it feel like it's part... So you can do it. You can actually do it like Lord of the Rings, uh, Avatar are two examples of amazingly popular, well-done stories that have done the exposition dump as its opening lines, but has done it so well that like we didn't even realize it was doing that. Because honestly, I didn't even think about it, but yeah, Avatar does that. Like, that's just it. I've never thought of the fact that that's how Avatar opens up, but that is how it does. It's with that dump because as it talks about like uh the fall of the king the air kingdom and the fi rise of the fire nation and stuff yeah and but, the, uh, but one of the things about all this exposition is one of the things that, uh, that makes it so it's doing it right is it's not just giving you information and giving you answers to questions you didn't ask but by giving you this information it actually raises questions that you want answers to like uh, why did the Fire Nation attack? Um, why did the Avatar dis uh, disappear? Um, I'm trying to remember the first opening, because the first opening is in the first episode is different than all the other openings. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember it exactly. It's been so long since I've seen that I episode. The Fire Nation attacked is like the big, <laughs> it's like the yeah. big line that everyone yeah, quotes. 
you're immediately you know, wondering why did the Fire Nation attack? Uh, where and the main one is where did the Avatar go and why did he disappear? And then we're uh, and we're later on given that answer. It's not like the, the answer is held from us forever. This is again promises and payoffs. You promise that uh, by raising the question, you promise to answer it. Yeah. And so when we're told what happened to, uh, to Aang, he was frozen in an iceberg. That's where he disappeared to. Uh, we get we're given that answer. But guess what? Uh, where that answer leads us to another question: Why is he in the iceberg? And then it's yeah. like, oh well, he ran away. Oh well, why did he run away? And it just keeps going. It it, it, just, it keeps going and going and going. Like generally, when you answer one question, you want to have another a question ready to go, or another question that's already being asked to keep your readers engaged. Yeah. A reader wants answers, so a reader turn, turns the page. But if a reader is waiting too long to get those answers, uh, then they get bored and put the book down. You know, saying this trailed off a little bit from uh, opening lines and yeah. went into the realm of how to keep your reader engaged. I wait to get back on. I found a website that has like a hundred of the best opening lines to books. I'm just like scrolling through trying to so find a book I've read, just look so at these that lines and break them down. yeah, I'm trying to look for ones though that I've read just so you know, I can actually, like, compare it to the rest of the book. The Grim Fairy Tales has a starting line? Oh, the Once Upon a Time. I got confused, like, what? <laughs> How do a bunch of short stories have? I don't know. I've never even heard of most of these books. Oh, A Tale of Two Cities. I don't even remember what the opening line to that one is. Oh, it was the best of the times. It was the worst of the times. It was an age of wisdom. It was an age uh, of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredibly. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. <laughs> I like how Charles Dickens is just terrified of saying, like, always avoids saying Wait, hell I in his stories. <laughs> Okay, I am honestly not a huge Charles Dickens fan. Like, I have read several of his books, and I even saw the Christmas Carol movie, like, the original one. Yeah. And, yeah, I, like, the Christmas Carol is, like, Dickens. the one exception where I'm like, I like this, but I like the uh, adaptations better. <laughs> I won't lie, I have not read A Tale of Two Cities. I've read uh, Charles uh, Dickinson and Pip are the two, or whatever. No, Great Expectations, the main character of it is, but I love the Great Expectations, and I love the Christmas Carol. Personally, I think they're great books. I want to read A Tale of Two Cities. I keep seeing it everywhere, but I haven't yet. But it, I have heard the opening line, though, to this story, and it's, it's just like one of those you want to recite, like you want to memorize it and be able to recite it to people. Because it's just that good. Like, yeah, it's it's poetic. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. Like, I hear that line quoted all of the time. Like, I was watching a show uh, recently that quoted, uh, that, like, made a parody of that. Uh, another show, uh, like, uh, um, My Little Pony did the same thing. <laughs> uh, but yes, they had a line. It was the best of apples. It was the worst of apples. And then proceeded to parody a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, they could take our farm, but they can't take our freedom. 
Yeah. See, here's the thing. This is, I think this is, the Tale of Two Cities is a good thing when you realize you've made it as an opening line. Is when people quote it like crazy. Because, to be honest, I got to the point where I forgot that this line was from this. Like, this is where it originated. So, <laughs> I didn't realize that. I totally forgot about that. But yeah, that, that is where it originated was Charlie. So, if you, if you do really well on your lines and it starts being quoted constantly, you know you've made it. You've made the best opening line. Hopefully the rest of your story uh, matches up to it. I can't say if Tales of Two City does or not. But I can say that that opening line to Tales of Two City does thoroughly represent Charles Dickinson's writing style in the sense that it's very poetic. Like, he's a very poetic writer. He has a very distinct writing style. Like, I had uh, watched The Christmas Carol without having read The Christmas Carol. And because I had read Charles Dickens before... I was able to watch the original Christmas Carol movie and know that they did not change hardly anything from the original book. And, I, and you could tell just by the word choice of everyone yeah. that this was Charles Dickens, 100%, and they weren't changing the lines. They took it it's straight poetry. from the book. It's like poetry, but put into prose. It's beautiful. I can see, though, why, like, a lot of people would hate that, because they're not into poetry or that. Or they're not into, like, I'm the... Not. Yeah, they're not into, like, the drawn-out descriptions and stuff. It's an acquired taste. It's definitely a taste, uh, a style of the timeline in which Charles Dickinson was living, and he was a master of it. And I love, I personally love the style. But I, I understand why a lot of people wouldn't. So, but that that's, that's a good example of a really, a really good one. Oh, we have Leo Tolsky, Anna Katharina, which is, I haven't read his that one yet, but I read a bunch of his other stories, so I can s tell if it's like that. All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Oh, which, so there's, it's, that's interesting, like, all, it's very, uh, kind of ma makes you have to stop and think about it. Like, you almost have to stop after his first line, which Leo is a lot like that. He writes these thousand page long books they're so stinking long but you feel like you have to stop after each sentence and analyze it and like think about it so again this line definitely represents his writing style very well I was looking at um, a list of a hundred best opening lines in books and one of them is like a perfect example of how to do a uh, an opening line that's weird that grabs your attention it was the day my grandmother exploded. <laughs> well, I'm definitely... <laughs> I've never read that book before. What's the I book? It's got my attention. What's the book um, called? It's The Crow Road. I've never heard of that. Huh. Neither have I, but I love that opening line. It's a good opening line. It was the day my grandmother exploded. Yeah, I also, I got, like, the example but from then, Pride and Prejudice. But below that. Have you heard the opening line to Pride and another Prejudice? One that, uh, yeah? I'm looking at another one that I would not say is actually very good, but for some reason is on this list. Elmer Gantry was drunk. I think it's just an idea of, like, sometimes it's just a simple straight-to-the-point opening line does it for people. Yeah. Or yeah. you could have you could have things like uh, 
Like, Jane, Jane Austen is known for good opening lines where it is in truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. If yes, you can't tell very... that Jane Austen has a lot of sass and some strong opinions about things from that opening line, then you have never read one of her books. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I feel like that one says more the author than the story. Cause, but, like, the character in this book would not isn't like that very much, but Jane Austen herself very much is. I don't... I'm not even sure what I'm reading now. Why? It's opening not a line. When your mama was... When your mama was the geek, my dreamlets, Papa would say, she made the nipping off of noggins such a crystal mis mystery that the hens themselves yearned toward her. Waltzing around her, hypnotized with longing. Um. What the heck? I've, I've, I don't know. I only, no, see, that's, that's the weirdness where I put the book down and walked away. Grandma Exploding, that's I might read a couple more lines before I decide, but, but that one, I've, I've closed the book. I have walked away. <laughs> yeah, that one, I, even I have closed the book and walked away. That's. That's too what the heck for me. Yeah. Oh, the Great Gatsby. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. And then it takes him forever, I think, to actually tell you what the advice is. If we want to, can we talk? Wait, I I had the perfect example of an ironic opening line. Here. Hey. It's Moby Dick, and his opening line is, "Call me Ishmael." Now this is ironic because it's short and to the point, and the rest of Moby Dick is anything but short and to the point. The man has two chapters dedicated to whether or not a whale is a fish or a mammal. He has another chapter dedicated to how sails should be folded properly. And I think it's like 30 pages to how har how the different types of harpoons. The man is not quick and to the point, but his opening sentences. We are just pulling out all of the Charles Dickens today. Charles, no, this isn't Charles Dickens. This is uh, Herman Mavell. This is Moby Dick. Oh, for some reason I thought that Moby Dick was written by Charles Dickens. No, oh, it's Herman Mavell. Now I will know, Herman Mavell's second book, I can't remember the title of it off my head, but whatever it is, he wrote a book that was in response to the negative reviews to Moby Dick. Moby Dick has never been liked, by the way. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't understand why this is such a loved book, it is not. It has never been loved. Just never. But his second book w is literally dedicated to calling his audience stupid for not enjoying his first book, and it is the best thing ever. Like, it's so subtle about it, but it's hilarious. And it's it's a masterpiece. Wow. So read his second book, whatever it's called. Um, uh, okay, I will say this, though. Uh, building off of that, if you go and write a book, the best way to take criticism is not getting upset with your audience and calling them all stupid. Don't do that. No, it Please, works for it worked for Herman Mavell though. If you are doing it in such a way that like where you're creating a whole other book to cause your audience stupid. But it does it so subtly. Not working. But you got you got to do it yeah, you got to do, do it, do it well. and carefully. But if you are doing it like uh like you go on Twitter and you uh you start complaining about all of your fans being such awful people. Oh yeah, uh, don't do that. 
Like, like for example, don't do what I, uh, I think it was J.J. J. Abrams did with Star Wars, where yeah. people criticized his writing. He said, "You guys just don't like the movie because you're all sexist and don't want a female protagonist." Yeah. By the way, it's a uh, Benento Sanero is the is his book, which is a response to the bad, the bad review of Moby Dick. And it's amazing, and it takes... The thing is about it is that it's extremely subtle. Like, we did a full class where that was part of our class, was, like, analyzing it and stuff. And going through it, it becomes quite obvious once you know you have... But you kind of have to know you're looking for it. So you have to know the history behind the book and why he wrote it and stuff. And then once you see it, you see it and you can't unsee it. But if you were just, like, a normal person reading your book, you'd be like, oh, this was interesting and a bit racist. Uh, but <laughs> if... But once you read it in the uh, with with the fresh eyes, with that in mind, you see it, and it's if the book just becomes even more amazing. But I that was like a really weird tangent from saying that the his opening line in Moby Dick it does not represent the rest of his book, and it's kind of funny. I but where else are we going with this? I don't know. I think, but I mean, we're, we've hit we're past the thirty minute mark, so I think. Is it end time? I it might be. These tend to be sh yeah. I I think it might be. Unless we want we want more uh we, more uh opening. We quotes. can only spend so long on a single topic before it gets uh, repetitive. Yeah. Oh, I found I found the, the Lord of the Rings intro. Like the opening line. Bilbo Baggins. At bed and announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 111st birthday with a party of special magnificence. There was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Hobbiton. It's just a sweet opening. I mean, you, you, little do you know what I, what? I, little do you know what horrors is about. Cutting to out, occur. even though I connect to a hotspot. Uh, well, uh, that just means it's a good time to end. <laughs> so. We're we're gonna say goodbye. Next week we'll be back to building major worlds, and next the start of next month, uh, Isaac will be in charge of picking what our topic is because it'll be his turn. So keep that yeah, in the back of your I head. Yeah, I got one planned, and it is gonna be so much fun. All like, right, okay. The one that I have, we, the one that just make sure you get the you catch the next one because I am sure that the next one is just gonna be. So much fun. I enjoyed this. It was fun just reading opening lines for a bit cause, and learning from them because I like learning from other people's writings. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you're looking forward to next month's and also next week's where we will be building yet another crazy world. Who knows? I'm sh oh, The only one who knows is Isaac and even then he doesn't know. So It will be crazy and it will be hilarious. Alright, well, you heard it first, and we'll see you then. And, it, and even though it's going to be hilarious, this is going to be one that I could actually see working as an actual world that you could tell a story in. I mean, all our worlds are like that. Yes, but not usually the absurd ones are. Oh, uh, like we make a way. You can always find a way. Anyways, we're going to say goodbye. Bye! Bye. Honestly, maybe this is the series Opening we don't lines? have a song. Okay. Uh. Either that or just sing like the top ten. Upon, most okay, I got it. I got it. Okay. Once upon a time, the end. Mm -hmm.